Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. It's State of the Union week here at Suspending the Rules. President Donald Trump will speak to a joint session of Congress on Tuesday, laying out his agenda for the year from the well of the House. And for the first time, a Democratic speaker will sit behind him as he delivers his speech. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Danielle Parnas. In the second segment, we'll look at an equal pay bill Democrats plan to pursue this year. We start this week's show with the State of the Union, and we're happy to welcome Bloomberg Government White House reporter Cheryl Bolin to the podcast, along with legislative analyst Michael Smallberg. Hello. Hello. Despite some earlier reporting, the president was considering breaking from tradition and delivering really campaign rally style speech for a State of the Union. It sounds from the excerpts that circulated last week that this will be a more measured address. Cheryl, what tone should we expect the president to strike Tuesday night? Well, the president is going to try a very tricky balance on Tuesday night. His biggest priority, of course, is a familiar theme of immigration reform and building the wall, which is, of course, incredibly controversial and divisive. At the same time, his speechwriters and White House staff have been working on a State of the Union address that they hope will set a very optimistic and bipartisan tone for the year ahead. The president is well aware he has to now work with a Democratic majority Congress. And so he really wants to, on the one hand, get his wall built. And on the other hand, he's got the rest of the year to think about with a lot of issues that he wants to do, trade uh, negotiations, trade deals that he needs Congress to approve, infrastructure, and several other uh, policy areas that uh, the White House is hoping to get through. Negotiations in the conference committee for the Homeland Security spending bill are ongoing, even as the president has called them a waste of time and threatened to declare a national emergency to build the wall without congressional input. Michael, where do those talks stand? And is an emergency declaration something we might hear Tuesday night? So we we have a February 15th deadline for uh, the current stopgap funding measure. But realistically, this conference committee is going to have to strike a deal probably by the end of this week uh, in order for a measure to get through the House and Senate. Now, of course, President Trump could throw this whole process into turmoil tomorrow if he does start to move the ball or even make a formal announcement about declaring a national emergency, which could let him redirect some fundings that were already appropriated uh, for the Defense Department or the Army Corps of Engineers towards a border wall, even if Congress is not on board. Now, this is something that would generate a lot of controversy. There would almost certainly be a legal challenge. There could also be political blowback from some conservatives who um, are very wary of him declaring a national emergency in this case. They're worried it could set a precedent you know, in the future for a Democratic president to, to declare an emergency to address an issue like climate change. But the conference committee is uh, in a tough position at the moment. I mean, you have the president who's been pretty firm saying he wants $5.7 billion for uh, a border wall, border barrier, some sort of structure. Nancy Pelosi uh, has said she's not going to give any money for for a border wall. The Democrats have come out with their own proposal that would provide more funding for things like customs officers, opioid detection equipment, but they didn't want to provide any additional funding for a structure at the southern border. So they do have a a pretty tough needle to thread. And as I said, with with the president's State of the Union coming uh, around the same time, uh, it really could throw this whole conference uh, process into turmoil. Outside of the the immigration realm, Cheryl, are there any other specific 
policies, new proposals that, that might surprise people? Well, we were given a briefing on Friday about some of the policy areas that the president is going to address or is scheduled to address uh, in his speech. Immigration, of course, being being the priority, but also trade, trade negotiations, trade deals. The president will uh, seek approval uh, or ask call on Congress to pass the um, new uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada trade agreement. He's also going to be calling on Congress to pass uh, the U.S. Reciprocal Trade Act dealing with tariffs. In addition to the trade uh, and, and also updating Congress on where he stands now with uh, China, which those negotiations are ongoing. The president has put out some optimistic um, comments about those trade deals, but uh, they're still yet to be finalized. But in addition to trade, uh, other uh, areas where he hopes to get bipartisan agreement include infrastructure. And we understand that um, the president will be proposing some dollar figure for an infrastructure package. Uh, he did the same in his last uh, State of the Union address. And well, the issue comes down to funding. Other issues include health care, prescription drug prices, and uh, also military spending. On infrastructure, the previous proposals the president has made involve public-private partnerships, not an actual federal outlay of the the one and a half trillion dollars or whichever version of it. Do we know how the that might shape this? particular proposal? We don't. Uh, the um, White House officials have not been particularly specific about how the president intends to achieve uh, his goals, other than to say these are areas that he hopes to get bipartisan support. As as you pointed out, they were unable, the White House was unable last year to come up with an agreeable funding mechanism for the president's plans. We have not heard in any sort of recent weeks about uh, any sort of new proposals for Funding. I would be surprised if those details were in his State of the Union address. This White House uh, really is more inclined to let the details be worked out by Congress. And so I think that's going to be one of the battles ahead uh, with the new Congress. And so does the same go for drug pricing? I know that Congress is starting to work on the issue, and we've heard that they're sort of waiting to see what the administration will support. But do you also think there won't be too many details on specific you know, legislation there? That, that's exactly Exactly right. Uh, this this White House, uh, whether it's infrastructure, health care, prescription drug prices, um, they certainly have the cabinet agencies, uh, the departments working with Congress on those proposals. But the president himself is more a broad theme, a visionary type speaker, especially on a, a big occasion like the State of the Union address, in which he's hoping to bring up an awful lot of themes, not only immigration and prescription drug prices, but trade. He's got also so foreign policy will be a big part of the speech as well. Um, we've got potential troop withdrawals in Syria, Afghanistan. The, you know, Venezuela is, a, is another issue that will have to come up. There's a lot to pack in to what will roughly be a one-hour speech before now a, a, a mixed Congress. You've got uh, control of the House with Nancy Pelosi. So he'll be making those comments knowing who his audience is, uh, but also knowing that this is a direct line to the American people for, for about an hour. The recent shutdown forced a one-week delay in this speech. It was originally scheduled for January 29th. The president has already threatened to allow another shutdown if Congress doesn't provide funding for wall construction. Uh, as Michael said earlier, that would be have to be 
finished and signed into law by February 15th. That's assuming he doesn't declare an emergency, as we discussed earlier. Is there any indication whether Trump will address the potential for another funding lapse? <laughs> well, the president said over the weekend that he wouldn't take uh, the idea of a shutdown off the table, that everything is still on the table as far as negotiations go. As Cheryl said, it does sound like he's probably going to strike a more um, conciliatory tone on other issues like infrastructure and drug pricing. So, you know, I don't know if he's going to be threatening a shutdown directly uh, in this speech tomorrow, but it, this is certainly going to be an issue uh, as we watch these negotiations move forward. And it'll be interesting to see, for example, if he does declare a national emergency, if that does then provide an opening for Congress to, to wrap up and in pass some of those spending bills um, for the agencies that have not gotten full year funding for this fiscal year. We we tried very hard to get officials to uh, at the White House to say whether or not the president would offer a path forward on spending negotiations and officials would not tell us. Uh, there is an awful lot of tinkering that this president likes to do right up until almost until the speech is delivered. As formal and as, as planned as this speech is for the last two years, uh, this president has made last minute uh, changes to the speech. And so uh, don't look for uh, too much uh, ahead of time as, as staffers give him some wiggle room to, to make changes. So he may or may not address the, the shutdown and or declare a national emergency to build the wall. Uh, a lot to, to look for that night. Great. Well, Cheryl Bowen reports on the White House for Bloomberg government, where Michael Smallberg is a legislative analyst. Subscribers can find all their great work at BGov.com. We'll be right back to discuss wage discrimination legislation and some bills we could see considered this week. Last week, Democrats in the House and Senate introduced the Paycheck Fairness Act, designed to advance equal pay for men and women. It would expand penalties for pay discrimination and put in place tougher standards for employers to meet to show they aren't discriminating based on sex. Legislative analyst Danielle Parnas has been covering those bills, and she joins us now to break them down for us. Hi, Danielle. Hello. So what's the impetus for pushing for this bill early this year? This bill has been a Democratic priority for many years. It's gone back multiple Congresses, and you know Democrats see this uh, as part of their economic plan heading into the 2020 election, similar to legislation they introduced a couple weeks ago to raise the minimum wage. And, you know, they're pushing it out early this year uh, to sort of demonstrate that this is one of their priorities. Actually, the House bill is designated as H.R. 7. We know, you know, the first 10 bills generally are reserved for um, the majority party for their biggest priorities. So, you know, they're really coming out of the gates with this one. We mentioned at the top that this bill would tighten standards on employers. Danielle, what's happening there? There are a couple of ways that this bill intends to address wage discrimination. The first is that it would change the defense that employers have against claims of discrimination. So for example, they would have to show that there's a bona fide factor for the difference in pay, such as education, training, or experience. There are also provisions that would prevent employees from being fired or discriminated against for discussing their wages. You know, something that advocates say now is that because of, you know, secrecy um, about pay, it's hard to know whether or not you're being paid less 
than a coworker. So that that's one of the retaliation provisions in there. And then there's also a section that would deal with salary history. And the bill would essentially prevent employers from relying on a prospective employee's salary history when they're making their employment decisions or providing offers um, you know, for employment and pay levels as well. And the bill would also increase the penalties for employers that are found to discriminate in pay. Can you tell us more about that? So it would essentially allow additional damages if there is a violation of the provisions. Right now, they essentially, employers would only have to pay back pay to those employees. But this is saying there could be additional punitive damages and compensatory damages. I know Adam Taylor's our, our resident lawyer, and um, you know, there's sort of the different levels of uh, penalties that one could pay. Right. Basically, compensatory damages are to make up for the pay discrimination that occurred. And punitive damages, which this bill would allow, would be there to punish wrongdoers. So if you're really egregious at discriminating and you're an employer, this bill would force you to pay additional damages. Danielle, you mentioned this being something of a marker for the Democrats going into 2020. Is there any chance at all that this becomes law before then? Well, this will likely face resistance in the Republican-controlled Senate when this bill came up in the 113th Congress when Democrats had control of the Senate. There were no Republicans that voted for it. You know, a lot of groups like the Chamber of Commerce and also some conservative groups like Freedom Works were opposed to that last bill. The The business organizations say that it would sort of go too far in expanding these penalties that they say would be unlimited, could apply in unintentional circumstances. And, you know, other groups say that the pay gap is not necessarily based on discrimination, but in choices that women make in the workforce. So there's sort of a philosophical difference. And while this is a Democratic priority, and you'll probably hear a lot of messaging around it, it's not likely something to become law. Thanks, Danielle. And so there are some other bills on the docket for this week, including a long-awaited lands package in the Senate. Adam Taylor, you've been following that bill. Uh, What's the major push here? So this is a a big package of of lands bills and natural resources bills negotiated by bipartisan leaders of the relevant committees in the House and the Senate. So it's got sign-off on both ends of the Capitol. According to lawmakers, the package includes more than 100 standalone bills from the last Congress, many of which were passed by one chamber or the other before the end of the year, but they couldn't get the the total package across the line. The headline in the the package is uh, Permanent Reauthorization of the Land and Water Conservation Fund. It's a fund in the Treasury that receives $900 million a year from offshore oil leases. Uh, That money goes to the government. But the uh, the authorization to make those deposits into the fund lapsed on September 30th at the end of the fiscal year. And unlike several other programs that were extended by the various continuing resolutions uh, that, that have gotten us to now, the Land and Water Conservation Fund wasn't included. So it's not receiving that money right now. There's still a lot of money in the fund. Congress doesn't generally appropriate all of it or all the, the full amount that they can each year. So it's got pretty hefty balance. But it's still essentially, you know, money is being lost that otherwise would go into the fund. The bill includes a lot more than that, of course, like I said, over 100 bills. It includes some provisions to make public lands more accessible for hunting and fishing. It includes lots of designations of new wilderness areas, conservation areas, recreation, and the like. There, And there are a lot of other provisions as well. Yeah, some of those provisions would be aimed at making settlements uh, involving federal agencies more transparent. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, it would require federal agencies that pay attorney's fees and other expenses to individuals or groups uh, as part of court proceedings or administrative proceedings. They'd have to disclose those payments through a public database. There's an existing law, the Equal Access to Justice Act, that 
if you bring a lawsuit against the federal government and you win, the government has to cover your legal fees. The idea is to encourage more individuals and small businesses and groups to bring lawsuits when they feel that the government has taken action that's illegal. Until 95, 1995, the federal court system actually reported to Congress on these payments, but that was repealed. This bill would reinstate the reporting requirement and extend it to administrative proceedings outside of court and make it a public database instead of just a report to Congress. Thanks, Adam. And other House bills scheduled for this week include the creation of a scenic byways program, railroad safety reporting requirements, and a mandate to create private rooms for nursing mothers in federal buildings that are open to the public. Bloomberg government subscribers can find our analyses of those bills and more at bgov.com. That's our show. Thanks for listening. For Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and Adam Shank, I'm Adam Taylor, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. Find out more about the topics we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg government at about.bgov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at bgov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Daniel Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information can be found at premiumbeat.com.